I'm Richard Sargent, and this is Faith in Action, a podcast about how faith affects the way we live and work today. Politics seems at once full of mission, sometimes even carrying the promise of social salvation. And yet it's also perhaps prone to a cynicism that is the opposite of faith. How does personal faith influence the way that politicians do their work? Should politicians do God? Is, is faith even compatible with liberalism? And why are there still bishops in the House of Lords? <laughs> to discuss faith in politics, I'm delighted to be in a conversation with Baroness Sal Brinton, who is president of the Liberal Democrats here in the UK and a member of the House of Lords. Uh, Sal, that's an impressive set of, of responsibilities, perhaps a bit cryptic to some people. Um, what do you actually do? My day-to-day job in the House of Lords, um, I am a spokesperson for health and social care matters. Um, I have a very particular interest in disability, not least because I'm in a wheelchair myself. Um, And I also worked in the university sector for 25 years. So uh, I I cover a range of topics, but mostly I tend to speak and debate and raise issues with ministers Mm -hmm. about problems that people who need social care uh, actually have in the UK at the moment, and I'm part of our health team in the Lords. Been in the Lords for... I've been in the Lords now for nearly eight years. And the President of the Liberal Democrats, I'm the Chair of the party. Um, I am the first amongst equals of our 100,000 members, and I represent them and make sure the party runs smoothly. Um, I am. I have to work very closely with the leader. The leader is our, obviously our political leader and uh, leads our political direction, works much more with the press than I do. My day-to-day diary is filled with practical meetings about finances, about fundraising, about making sure that our services to members works well, mm-hmm. about communications with the public, all of those things. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm the... Um, diner rod for the party i'm the last port of call (laughs) when a drain has been blocked somewhere in the party people often come to the president and say help can you solve this problem for us so each day brings me surprise um pleasure because we get compliments as well but often it's the how on earth do we unblock this particular problem oh that's much clearer thank you and sal you're you're christian and you're a liberal democrat what sort of background childhood did you have in in relation to faith and politics? I grew up in a family that have been traditionally Church of England, although my family does have some Quaker roots as well. Um, And the influence for me, my family didn't go to church every week, but we went to church for high days and holidays. I went to um, private schools where faith was actually important. I was even in my early days rebellious. I think that sort of goes with the liberal bit. And I can remember in my teens with all my colleagues around me, aged 13, going to confirmation class and becoming confirmed, as you do in the Church of England, and just saying, I'm not going to do it automatically. I actually want to understand why I'm doing it. Mm. And I went on a journey and I sat down with my dad uh, and said, look, I actually want to try out some other churches because I'm not quite sure if I'm Church of England Mm. and I want to do some exploration. Mm. So for the next two to three years, I took myself off. I went to Baptist church, went to a Catholic church, and uh, even went to the Quakers for a few months just to sit in and listen. Mm. I think 
although I was then confirmed age 16, what it really did for me was allow me the opportunity to develop my own faith, understand where I stood, how my relationship with Jesus Christ and with God fitted into what I wanted to do in my life. And that has stuck with me ever since. Mm. So as a Christian and a young liberal, I marched aged 17, 18 um, against apartheid. Um, I worked at the BBC and a small group of us from Broadcasting House used to go down every Friday lunchtime with our sandwiches in our pockets outside South Africa House to demonstrate. Um, And I was opposed to capital punishment and although it had just been abolished, there was still much debate about whether it should be brought back. And those were the key reasons I became a liberal, but they're also fundamental to where I come from as a Christian. That intersection between faith and, and politics being freedom? I think it's about a tolerance of others and my liberalism is founded very much on John Stuart Mill's principles of the state should be as light touch as possible mm. to let everybody develop their potential to do their best and there's a parallel there with Christianity mm. where we are asked to take ourselves on that journey of faith mm. and God will be there to guide us as will others but we are responsible for that But John Stuart Mill also says we then need a safety net for when that doesn't work. And that, for liberals, is absolutely vital. And for for me, in terms of liberalism, it's been finding that balance. Mm. And that's why when people talk about a left-right spectrum in politics, most liberals don't like that. Mm. Because we talk about um, authoritarianism, which you can find both in the right and the left, versus a liberalism with a small L, where actually the state stands back where possible, but only intervenes where it needs to provide that safety net. Mm. Sal, you've got an impressive hinterland, as as Dennis Healy used to describe. You've done many things before Mm. politics. You've worked in the media, the BBC, in business, universities, roles at a number of charities. What role has faith played in your career, choices and direction? I think that faith has meant that before I've made particularly a big change of direction, um, I have prayed about it. I have talked with my minister and obviously with my husband. So yes, it has been terribly important. But I think there's something else. Uh, I can remember about 20 years ago listening to a sermon at an away day that our church had, um, where the description about faith in action, and and I don't speak Greek, I wouldn't want you to think I did, but The speaker said, pistis, the Greek word for faith, is a noun verb. It's not just something that happens elsewhere. Mm. It's not just a thing. It is an action. Mm. You have to make it work for you. And in the New Testament, where it goes through the balance, where pistis is used, it is all about faith in action. Mm. Uh, And again, going back many years, one of the people who really spoke to my heart about my faith when I was 14 was a man called Martin Sullivan who was the Dean of St Paul's and I heard him saying that um, faith is a journey it begins as an experiment Mm. it ends as an experience and it is verifiable as you go along and for me faith in action means every part of your life you can't just say on Monday to Friday, I'm doing work and it doesn't come into it. Mm. 
faith in action for me is every part of it. And of course that plays right into politics and why I wanted to serve uh, as a councillor and then later why I tried to become an MP and just missed twice and now why I'm in the House of Lords. For me, it's all linked in. I, that's uh, fantastic to hear that, that connection, that congruence between faith and life. Uh, can you give a couple of examples as, as to how, how your faith has been put into action? What, what difference does it make to how you practice politics? One of the things that, that Jesus did was he listened first mm. and spoke later. And um, I had a lovely grandmother who always said, God gave you two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. And for me, that is one of the things where I look at, at the way Jesus, he always said, so what do you want to do? Mm. And then he spoke, but he listened first. And for politicians, we tend to speak first because we want to get our very important view over. I have, I think, learnt, and I'm still learning, to listen first. So the real challenge at the moment in our broken political world yes. is how to listen to the people that I really, really disagree with. Mm. And, I, and I will make it personal. I, I'm a Liberal Democrat, so everyone will assume that I am a Remainer in the Remain Brexit argument, the Remain Leave argument. Yes. Um, and one of the things I'm trying to do at the moment is to genuinely understand and listen to the reasons why people want Brexit and want us to leave. You know, I may disagree with them, but to start listening is something important. And actually, I think it is something we all need to do because the society remains two years on from the referendum as polarised as it was in June 2016. I agree. And it feels as though some of those spaces for public conversation have become more polarised. Yes. Social media, for example, where yes. perhaps listening isn't quite as common as... Uh, as one might wish. And social media is a real problem because actually it is an echo chamber for your own views. Mm. You tend not to read in detail the people that oppose you. Uh, and so for, for me, that means I now seek out articles mm. in journals that I wouldn't normally read to deliberately get that other view. I might then violently disagree with it, but actually I need to read it and listen. When the, the ex-leader of the Liberal Democrats, Tim Farron, stepped down, he discussed the tension he saw between his faith and, and liberalism. Uh, the, the word secular and liberal uh, are often rather thrown together as a, a summary for dominant Western political culture. Have you felt any tension between your own politics as a, a liberal democrat and, and your faith? Is, is there any tension between liberalism and, and faith? No. And I think one of the reasons for that, although John Stuart Mill himself was not a Christian, um, Liberalism in the 19th century was very much founded on the Methodist, from the Methodist community, mm. uh, and indeed, you know, the, the Church of England as well. And um, I think it becomes too easy just to say, no, you know, that liberalism is secularism. And no, I haven't, I haven't found that. And I think even 50 years ago, um, in our society, we had Christians believing and practicing a range of different things. Mm. We didn't fight about it in quite the way that we do now. Mm. And um, certainly as a member of the Church of England, I watch some of the things um, that, are, uh, that are going on and have been going on. I remember the debate about whether there should be women bishops. Mm. I, because it was in London, I went to sit in the gallery at Church House to watch the first vote for women bishops, which was lost before it went up to Synod uh, in, in York, the next Synod in York, and was won. 
And I just thought, I don't believe that if Jesus had arrived in our society today, he would have excluded women from being bishops. Yeah. That is my view. I hope that as a community of Christians together, we can start to understand that there are different things. And I think the Church of England, by the way, is becoming much better at articulating that and listening and the voices that are coming through uh, are showing that there is much more listening going on. Politics and faith in the UK, uh, Church of England or, or more generally, have a much trickier relationship it seems than in the US. Our ex-Prime Minister Tony Blair decided that he didn't do God in public communications despite being committed in, in his faith. Tim Farron did God and it got a little bit messy. How should we talk about faith in public? I just want to go back a bit to mm. look at the relationship between church and state. And I'm going to call it church because I'm going right back to the Civil War okay. in the 17th century. Um, I think one of the reasons that we stopped talking about faith in the commons was because the country was so badly divided following the Civil War so badly divided and I think that then coloured the way our constitution developed and everything else mm, which is ironic of course because it's the exact opposite of America where the English people who left these shores to go and set up America did so because they wanted to get away from a, a state that was telling them how they had to worship so you know it is, it is just completely extraordinary that we've now moved into the completely opposite mm -hmm. positions um, I think what's happened in the last 10 years, so after Tony Blair became Prime Minister, but probably before he left, is that more people in politics decided they were going to do God and mm -hmm. be prepared to talk about it. Uh, I know from my own experience as being one of the vice chairs of Christians in Parliament that there are many more Christian politicians than people are aware of. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't speak about it because they are worried that it will impact on how other people view them, mm. but also because some people feel that it is their one absolute privacy to be able to have their relationship with God in complete privacy. So we have to respect that. Mm. Um, but I think it is becoming easier for politicians to say if they have a faith, and not just a Christian faith as well. And we see that in the House of Lords, where we have some of some other faith leaders as well who now sit on the cross benches. We don't just have the bishops, and we'll talk about bishops in a minute. But there is a much more open dialogue to listening to how faith and the state interact. The the church and, and faith communities in general have often been political in the sense of wanting to influence public opinion, public policy, law, uh, on some issues they've even, I think, led and, and transformed culture, like abolition of slavery, reform of prisons, looking a little while back. But recently the church has campaigned on international debt relief, mm -hmm. Jubilee 2000, uh, policies towards refugees or... Yep accessibility of, of gambling, fixed odds, mm -hmm. betting machines on the high street. What do you think are the important policy issues that, that faith communities should be active on today? All, all of those things and more. Um, I, and I have, unlike some people, I have no problem with those of faith saying to politicians, mm. we're really worried about this. Because mm. if as a Christian I see members of my community or the wider community really suffering, 
then I believe we absolutely have a duty to, to call it out. You know, Jesus asked us to call it out. And remember, he turned over the tables in, in the temple with the money changers. Um, we've, we have a whole range of things that we should do. I don't believe it is right when politicians say to Christians, you should not be doing this. It is inappropriate as a part of your faith. And by the way, that's not just a Christian thing. I know that um, Muslims, Jewish community will also call these things out as well. Brexit is, is the political issue perhaps that dominates all others mm. right now. Is there a role there for faith communities to try and heal or, or at least bridge the divide between uh, Remainers and Leavers, between those who feel they've been left behind and aren't represented by uh, the EU? It would be wonderful. Um, it's a very, very difficult task to do. Um, I think a lot of people shy away from, from those discussions, but I say to my party members when I speak to them, actually, one of the most important things you can do is to talk to your friends. Whether they share your views about Brexit or not, but talk. Talk about the issues that worry them. Understand what they are. And in recent times, I would say, and also they'll tell you if their views have changed over the last two years, because quite a lot of people have. Sure. Um, but it's about that dialogue. And I think the, the more that it happens at a very local level, so having coffee after church, you know, just chatting to people, I, I, I have to say that it's one of the spaces when it's like a surgery for me. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love my friends at my church very dearly, but I'm often asked about things. And it, that's fine. That's my job. It just goes with the territory. But I do think we have a role, if we have an interest, mm. to ask our friends, particularly with the importance of Brexit coming up, to make sure. And actually, there's something else that's really important, which is because Brexit is all-consuming, there are other people struggling because the issues that they face are not being tackled. Mm. Disabled children is, is one case in point where care is being cut for the most disabled children in our community right across the country. And everything, every time we go to the ministers, they just say, can't do it because of Brexit. And I watch families struggling 24-7 with children who are on ventilators at night and having fits and things like that, and they are just not getting the support they need. And actually, you know, I think if you know somebody like that, you should be talking to your local council. Yeah. Your councillor, you'll have a councillor in your area, and just start to ask the families what you can do to help. And it might be lobbying. It might be, as you do with friends who are sick, offering that meal to take round a meal to them, something like that. That's a Christian response. It's saying, how can I help? And then waiting for the response before jumping in. Sal, slightly unusually for a, a parliament, some of your colleagues in the House of Lords are, are bishops. Um, what difference do they make? And should we have more faith leaders in the Lords or fewer? I'm going to start with the positive. <laughs> the bishops wear the outfits that bishops wore 200 years ago when they do prayers in the Lords. That's the positive. That's... <laughs> the positive is the prayers. Uh, they're online. If anyone's interested, they are online. They are also in Book of Common Prayer language, uh, which we don't use at my church. So I take myself back to a different time. But those prayers in private, they're obviously not televised, ground me for the day. I am reminded to pray for the Queen, the royal family. I'm reminded about the system of justice through Parliament and the courts. And then I'm reminded about my role 
and all the things that I should set aside because the work for that day is to the glory of God and I must set aside my own personal interests. They're very, very powerful prayers. So that, that's the positive. Obviously, not everybody comes in for those. So coming back to, should we have bishops in the House of Lords? In a perfect world, as a Liberal Democrat, my answer would be no. I would like an elected second chamber uh, that would not be the same as the House of Commons. The House of Lords knows perfectly well it is secondary to the House of Commons. Mm. We don't have constituents in the same way. The problem we've got at the moment is that we are not accountable. And so I'm not just picking on the bishops. Mm. I say we need wholesale reform. And I believe that uh, things will improve when, when and if we get that. Um, I'm not holding my breath, but it would be nice to be thrown out for an elected chamber to come in that is also more regionally representative. At the moment, most peers come from London and the mm. South East, and that's not reflective of our country at all. So no bishops and no unelected lords either. Sal, your term as president of, of the Liberal Democrats comes up next year. Uh, previous incumbents, Nick Clegg, Tim Farron, have gone on to become leader of the party. Would you be willing to do the same? Well, I can't at the moment because it's MPs only. But my party, uh, there's been sort of rumours in the, in the press in the last couple of weeks that the party is beginning to consider whether it should broaden that. And the Green Party has done that, um, and it's, it's had non-MPs as leader. If that were to be the case, then for me the answer is no. I have a long-term medical condition, and I know I just couldn't do it. If I'd been perfectly fit and able, would I want to do it? Um, I would have to pray about it. It is an enormous undertaking for any person to be the leader of a political party in this mm. country. Um, we watch new leaders come in, and then we watch the detail of scrutiny, which no other public body gets. Even MPs don't realise the scrutiny they get and the pressures on their lives. And of course, you know, for many, they rise to the occasion and it's fantastic. Um, I would love the challenge of something like that, were I ever to be able to stand. But there's no way I could do it in my current, current condition. Sal, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I've enjoyed it.